I'm Dr. Janelle Anderson, former college professor turned manager in a large corporation turned entrepreneur. And not just any entrepreneur. I've made it my life's work to make organizational life more effective and fulfilling. So welcome to Working Conversations, the podcast where we digest and translate research and ideas on workplace dynamics and serve up to you the most interesting and actionable strategies to make your workplace conversations and your relationships more effective, productive, and influential. If you're looking for proven tools for your workplace toolbox, you're in the right place. Now, let's get after it. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Working Conversations podcast, where we talk all things leadership, business communication, and trends in organizational life. I'm your host, Dr. Janelle Anderson. This week on the podcast, we are trying something new. It's an Ask Me Anything episode. In an Ask Me Anything episode, I'm fielding questions from a listener. This time, it's a doozy, and it's probably something that you've encountered as well. The person who talks way too much and seems to be only interested in themselves. Before we get into the episode, though, I want to note that if you've got a question or topic that you'd like me to address on the podcast, drop me a line at Janelle at workingconversations.com. That's my first name, J-A-N-E-L, at workingconversations.com, and put Ask Me Anything in the subject line. So here's what this Ask Me Anything listener writes. Dear Janelle, my question is about what to do in a personal life situation where there is very little back and forth communication in the conversation. Specifically, with a person who does all of the talking and does not recognize that they never even ask about me. This is a person who's important to me, but it has become unbearable to be in conversations with her. The only way that I ever get to share anything about me is over texting because there's no opportunity for her to interrupt me and make it all about her. At times when I try to interject in a conversation, at best, she will over talk me to continue to where she was. If there's a break in her talking where normally a person would have a comment or it might be the beginning of a new conversation, she'll overtalk that and say, anyways, and turn it back on herself. She will blatantly be disinterested and make noises or short comments and then go on to talk about something else about her or continue in a long, drawn-out play-by-play of something that she's experienced. When I try to talk about anything about me, her eyes gloss over or she just freezes in place and stares off into the distance. And then it's onto her and her topics all over again. She's a lovely person, and she's smart, and she's level-headed, and she is somebody who's important to me, so I can't just walk away. But there is just this one thing, and it is very hard to cope with. And if I have an experience that she finds out about, like on Facebook or something, afterwards she says, well, why didn't you tell me? How do I even respond to that? Please help. Signed, no place for me in the conversation. Well, first of all, no place. Thanks so much for writing in. I empathize with your situation. It's a difficult position to be in, especially if this is a person that you care about and somebody who is important to you in your life. You are on the receiving end of what is known as conversational narcissism. Now, this is different than the actual clinical diagnosis of narcissistic personality disorder. That psychological disorder 
which by the way, I am not qualified to diagnose, is a medical condition in which people have an inflated sense of their own importance, a deep need for excessive attention and admiration, troubled relationships, and a lack of empathy for others. A conversational narcissist, on the other hand, is someone who is constantly turning the conversation toward themselves and steps away from topics when the conversation is no longer about them. They're generally uninterested in what other people have to say. Again, this is different than a clinical diagnosis of narcissistic personality disorder. It's important to note that we all vie for attention in conversations. We have things that we want to share, ideas that we want feedback on or advice on, and frankly, we all want to be the center of attention some of the time. A healthy give and take of attention being shared across the conversation makes for a good experience and a pleasant conversation. When one person, a conversational narcissist, keeps vying to be the center of attention and constantly turns the conversation back on themselves, the conversation ceases to be interesting and satisfying to both partners. The term conversational narcissism was coined by a sociologist by the name of Charles Derber. And because I geek out on this stuff, let's dive into Derber's research for just a moment. Derber describes a couple of different responses that a person gives to what someone says in a conversation. The shift response and the support response. The support response keeps the attention on the speaker and the topic they've introduced. It supports the speaker in keeping that topic alive. The shift response, however, is an attempt to set up a change in the topic and shift the attention to themselves. So let's look at an example of the difference between the two. Let's start with the support response. Let's say we've got Jill and Stacy in a conversation about dress shopping. Jill says, I need to buy a new dress for a wedding I'm invited to. And Stacy says, oh, is it a formal wedding or an informal wedding? What style of dress are you thinking of? So Stacy's response supports the topic that Jill's introduced and continues that topic by asking Jill some questions. On the other hand, if Stacy were to take a shift response, it might go something like this. Jill says, I need to buy a new dress for a wedding I'm invited to. And Stacy says, oh yeah, I need to go dress shopping too. Jill says, really? Stacy says, yeah, my parents are having a big party to celebrate their 40th wedding anniversary and I can't wait to dress up for the party. Now in the first example, the support response, Stacy kept the attention on Jill and asks questions that support the direction of the conversation. Jill's invited to share more about the dress that she needs to shop for. In the second example, the shift response, Stacy sets up a shift in the conversation so that she can turn the conversation to herself. Now, it's important to note that sometimes we will do what Stacy did not to turn the conversation back on our own interests, but instead to just simply relate to the other person by sharing an example of our own and then shift the conversation back to them. So Stacy could share a little bit about her own dress needs and then ask Jill some additional questions about what she's looking for, or perhaps even suggest that they go dress shopping together. When it's conversational narcissism, however, the intent is to get the conversation back on themselves. So a shift response will be used frequently. 
And sometimes it takes the conversational narcissist a few turns of vying for attention to get the conversation turned back on themselves. And sometimes they'll do a combination of shift and support response so as to not look too needy or bossy in the conversation so that it appears like it's going back and forth, but all the while the conversational narcissist is subtly fitting in the shift responses to shift the conversation back on themselves. All right. I always think it's fun and interesting to look at what's going on in the research related to the topics that I bring up here on the Working Conversations podcast. Now that we know what it is, let's look at why it happens, what to do when you recognize that you're in a conversation with a conversational narcissist, and finally, what to do if you recognize yourself as the conversational narcissist. First off, let's look at why it happens. Now, the conversational narcissist has some things going on with them. There are many different things, and here's some ideas. Now, this is a list that's not an entirely inclusive list, but there might be one of these things going on with the other person, the conversational narcissist. They might have a lack of social support in their personal life or their work life for that matter. They might be anxious or perhaps nervous around you, and that nervous or anxious tendency comes out as talking too much and keeping the conversation focused on themselves. They might be lonely. They might be trying too hard to connect to you, unaware that they're shutting you out of the conversation and essentially shutting you down. Again, not an exhaustive list, but those are some ideas about what might be going on with the conversational narcissist. As adults, we often hold on to adaptations that were useful to us as children. Perhaps the conversational narcissist had to overtalk everyone in their family to get any attention or to get their needs met. That adaptive behavior worked well as a child, but now, well on into adulthood, it's dysfunctional in relationships and, in fact, yields the opposite result. People are put off and don't want to give the conversational narcissist any attention. They're frustrated by them. So there's a number of reasons why it might be happening with the other person, and I think when you can understand that it's coming from somewhere other than, you know, they're not, they're probably not uh, evilly plotting to take over every single conversation they get into with you. It is probably just something that's kind of coming out sideways. When you can understand that, I think you can come into the conversation with more understanding and perhaps even compassion for where the other person is coming from. So those are some ideas for potentially why it happens. This episode is made possible by Instacart. If you haven't already started using Instacart, now is the time, my friend. Now, I'm the first one to say that I actually enjoy a trip to the grocery store. I really do. But you know what I like doing even better? Making this podcast. When I was deep in the development of this podcast, outlining and recording the first few episodes, my kids reminded me that they needed to eat. Instacart to the rescue. In absolutely record time, Magnolia, my Instacart shopper that day, delivered chicken nuggets, milk, avocados, fresh berries, and a host of other groceries we needed. When life gets busy, or when you just want to feel like royalty and have someone do it for you, there's Instacart. Get $10 off your first order when you sign up at workingconversations.com forward slash Instacart. Now, back to the show. Next. Let's look at what to do in the conversation mechanically when you find that you are on the receiving end of a conversation with a conversational narcissist. 
I have a few different pieces of advice for you. Number one, don't take it personally. This isn't about you. This is about the other person, perhaps having a lack of social support, perhaps being anxious or insecure. This is really about them. So do not take it personally. They, again, they are not plotting and scheming against you. So this isn't about you. It's about them. Number two, listen for that shift response that I was talking about and be ready to be assertive when you hear it. So in the case of Jill and Stacy and their talk about dresses, it might sound like Jill saying something like this. Hey, I'd love to hear more about your parents 40th and the dress that you need for it. But first I'd love your input on what you think I should buy for this wedding. So in this case, Jill is pulling the conversation back, putting the focus back on what she needs and sharing what she's hoping to get out of the conversation with Stacy by saying, you know, I want to know what you think I should buy for this wedding. Jill might have to do that multiple times in the conversation, but Jill's going to be way, way more ready to do that if she's listening for that shift response. And every time she hears that shift response to get assertive, jump in there and turn it back on herself. Now, she needs to also be careful to not be a conversational narcissist herself. She's just trying to share some ideas or get a point across or get Stacy's advice. All right, number three, set boundaries. Now, these boundaries might be boundaries that you share with the other person. Like if you've had a conversation with the other person to say, hey, it's always about you and that frustrates me. In which case, if you've had that open conversation with them, you might follow that up with a boundaries conversation. And a boundaries conversation is going to go something like this. When you keep turning the conversation on yourself, I'm going to end the conversation. I'm going to hang up if we're on the phone. I mean, not rudely hang up, but you're just going to say, I got to go. And you're going to end that conversation. Or if you're at a social gathering, you're going to go find somebody else to talk to. But that's a clear boundary where it's an if this, then that. So when X happens, when Stacy becomes a conversational narcissist, I will do Y. I will leave the conversation. I will step away to talk to somebody else. I will find a reason to get off the phone. So again, it doesn't have to be something that you've shared explicitly with the other person. This could be a boundary that you've negotiated with yourself where you say, when this behavior happens, this is what I'm going to do. And then you have to hold firm and follow through on whatever action you're going to take when that boundary gets crossed. One final idea, idea number four, is you can tee up your turn in the conversation. And again, this is a bit along the lines of listening for that shift response. But if you know you're going into a conversation with a conversational narcissist or somebody who has tendencies towards conversational narcissism, you might tee up your turn by saying something like this, I know you'll understand. And I really want to tell you the details about my first week at my new job. And then you're going to hold the floor and launch into those details about your first week on the new job. Again, listening for those interjections where the other person might put in a shift response to try to turn it back on. Well, you know, oh, that, that was so similar to something that happened to me when I first started my job. Well, Perhaps they've been in their job for 10 years, in which, you can, in which case you can say, you know, I'd love to hear about more about your job when I'm done, and then carry on. But if you tee up your turn 
with something like, I really want to tell you the details about XYZ and then carry on, it's much more likely that you'll actually get to say your piece. So those are a few tips for what to do if you find yourself in a conversation with a conversational narcissist. And a quick recap of what to do. Number one, don't take it personally. Number two, listen for that shift response and be ready to be assertive. Number three, set boundaries and enforce those boundaries for yourself. And then number four, tee up your turn when you know you're going into a conversation with somebody who has conversational narcissism tendencies. All right. Now, what if in all of this, you have recognized yourself and you say, oh, I am the conversational narcissist. I always want to keep it about me. I'm always looking for ways to turn the conversation back to myself. I don't want to be that person, Janelle. What can I do? Well, let me give you a half a dozen different ideas of things for you to be mindful of in conversations, ways to pay attention, and things to do to keep that conversational playing field an even field where ideas are bouncing back and forth between both people so that you can have the most satisfying and enjoyable conversation possible. So number one, don't hijack the conversation and bring it back to your interests. Be mindful of that. Know, especially if there's a particular person or a particular type of situation that you may find yourself in where you tend to be more of a conversational narcissist. Have some awareness going into that and just remind yourself, I am not going to hijack this conversation. I am not going to make this all about me. I'm going to be other-centered and I'm going to make this about the other person at least until it seems like an appropriate amount of time has passed that the person has told me what they need to tell me or asked for my advice on what they wanted to ask me about or whatever it is that you think they wanted out of the conversation. Number two, be patient and don't interrupt. This is going to require listening. You might also choose an anchor. And I've talked about this in my book, Head On, How to Approach Difficult Conversations Directly. When you have an anchor, this is something that's a physical object or a body part like your left thumb or your watch or something that you always have on your person that you anchor onto as a reminder to stay present in the conversation. So you might grab hold of your left thumb with your right hand as you are patient, and this is going to serve as a reminder to not interrupt the other person. So that's number two, be patient and don't interrupt. Number three, listen more, talk less. (laughs) That's right. Listen more, talk less. You've probably heard the old adage, we were given two ears and one mouth for a reason. This is what you're going to do is try to outnumber your listening turns to your talking turns by two to one. Use that ratio of two ears to one mouth and do your best to listen twice as much as you are talking. So let the other person have more turns in the conversation. Now, it might not always turn out that way, but at least if you're trying, it will probably end up to be a more balanced conversation. Number four, keep the eye contact going. When you stay connected to the other person's eyes, and again, in Western culture, eye contact is very important, and I duly note that this varies from culture to culture. But in American and Western European culture, we do make eye contact to show a sign of listening and attentiveness. So when you can continue eye contact with the other person, and not like you're staring them down, you can glance away from time to time, but just being mindful of eye contact will keep your attention focused on the other person. 
Number five, stay in the conversation. So you don't want to be entirely passive here, but you're going to be giving affirmative responses like, "Uh Mm uh-huh, oh, that's interesting. So some of those types of responses or even asking questions, probing questions to go deeper into what your conversational partner is talking about. You're going to show curiosity and engagement by staying in the conversation, by being attentive like that. And then number six, and this is a deeper dive into number five, but really ask questions and be inquisitive. So think of those probing questions, ask for examples, ask them to go deeper into the topic. And again, that's going to keep the focus of the conversation on the other person and not on you. So those are six things that you can do if you recognize yourself as the conversational narcissist. And I'll just quickly recap those for you again. Number one, don't hijack the conversation. Number two, be patient and don't interrupt the other person. Number three, listen more, talk less. Number four, Keep the eye contact in play in the conversation. Number five, stay in the conversation by demonstrating your listening, the ahas and the ahums. And then number six, be curious, ask questions, be inquisitive. All right, so there you have it, my friends. My response to the first ask me anything email from No Room for Me in the Conversation. Thank you so much, No Room, for writing in. I really appreciated your question, and I think it's something that a lot of people are really going to be able to relate to. Most of us have somebody in our lives who exhibits, at least some of the time, some symptoms of conversational narcissism. So again, a quick recap of what we've discussed on this episode. We discussed what conversational narcissism is. We discussed why it occurs. We talked about what to do to wrangle the conversation back to yourself and keep it more balanced. And finally, we talked about what to do if you recognize yourself as the conversational narcissist. If you enjoyed this episode of the Working Conversations podcast, please share it with a friend. Of course, don't share it with a conversational narcissist unless you're specifically asking them to listen to hear a description of themselves inside the podcast. Anything less would be passive aggressive. Instead, Share it with somebody who also might be dealing with a conversational narcissist themselves. And remember, if you have a question or topic that you'd like me to discuss, please drop me a line at Janelle at workingconversations.com. That's J-A-N-E-L at workingconversations.com with ask me anything in the subject line. I'd love to tackle your questions. Until next time, be well, my friends. Thanks so much for listening. If you like what you're hearing on the podcast, head on over to Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts and give us five stars and a quick review. It really makes a difference and it keeps us bringing you valuable content that you can put into play in your life. I'm Dr. Janelle Anderson, and this is Working Conversations.